Hello and welcome to the Midwest Innovation Podcast, co-production of The Mill and Dialtis. I'm Jeremy Brilliant, your host from Dialtis. And I'm Heath Murray, your co-host from Dialtis. Uh, and I am Andy Lehman, not from Dialtis. I'm from The Mill, uh, head of accelerator programming here. And today we're going to be speaking with Robbie Bott and Eric Coyne, uh, co-founders of Folia, a startup here in based out of The Mill and growing here in the Midwest. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. The office is here at the mill. You're based in Bloomington. Um, but I know, Ravi, that's not where where everything's – well, some of it started here for you, right, in Bloomington at IU. But can you kind of walk us through your journey to through IU to get, to get back to Bloomington a little bit? Yeah. Both Eric and I have made this kind of long, circuitous round trip. Um, so there's – Quite a bit of difference in our story, but uh, but a lot of a lot of alignment as well. So yeah, I, I uh, as you say, did did study here at IU as an undergrad years ago, um, and studied computer science and cognitive science, and then went out into the bright world. Uh, went to law school at WashU in St. Louis, and then practiced for a bit. Worked as a strategy consultant for the last. 10, 12 years, I've been in the world of entrepreneurship uh, in Chicago, and then in the middle of the pandemic, a couple of strategic things came up. We had an opportunity to form a new business and and came back to Bloomington. Like Ravi said, I started here in Bloomington, and after high school, I was born and raised here, and then after high school, I went to Air Force Academy, spent uh, 24 years on active duty, and retired in uh, September of 2020. Along the way, I I became a JAG. Went to law school as well, became a JAG, and uh, we made the decision to move back to Bloomington. Uh, it was right in the middle of the pandemic, so it's uh, you know it was an interesting transition. And as I was uh, I was getting ready to kind of launch uh, my own thing in entrepreneurship space, and ran into uh, was introduced to Ravi by a mutual friend, uh, Cy Menyon, who may may feature in one of your podcasts one day. Uh, Cy introduced us and. Uh, Ravi and I had a lot in common. We have similar interests in really trying to propel the ecosystem and community forward and really aligned on that. And um, so, yeah, we started working together and about six months in. Well, and it's a podcast. We should describe for the listeners how similarly we like look to each other, right? Because like, that, that really was the, uh, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so we, um, we spent uh, about six months working together and then ultimately decided to form Folia, and that's when I became co-founder. And um, yeah, so, so it's been a fun journey. Learned a lot. Could you tell us, someone who doesn't know anything about Folia, just what it is, what it does? It goes something like this. You know, we over the last ten years have had the good fortune of working with a lot of regulated industry customers, so financial services, legal, uh, a lot of government agencies, um, and, and the and the insight that we've been kind of wrestling with for a little while is something like this, that as people progress in their profession, they do less and less creating new documents and more and more of this kind of synthesis work that feels very meta. Uh, But it's basically like coming up with new ideas, driving business forward, driving teams forward. And naturally, as they do that work, they want to annotate. They want to be able to work with multiple different file formats and there are some kind of security and workflow considerations as part of that. So we kind of put our heads together and we thought, we actually can build this whole end-to-end process, and Folio is just kind of a natural name for it. So I'd come at it from that perspective, uh, and I started talking to Eric, and he was coming at it from a slightly different perspective uh, from the military's background, and, and 
the cool thing about it is the problem was the same, even though the industries were very, very different. And so we zoomed out even further and we're like, actually, this is a much, much bigger problem. Um, And so like a lot of these kind of origin stories, what's fun about our journey is there are multiple steps of validation. Like even when you know the problem is real, you still don't even know that there's a market and there's an opportunity and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but yeah, so these days we we took one of our precursor products and built a bunch of traction. So we have you know, well over a, a million folks that are using our tech at some level, a lot of regulated industry customers, uh, like I was mentioning. So most of the large banks, some of the government agencies, and a plan to roll out the rest of the platform later this year. So, yeah. What does it do? I mean, if you just, if you were talking to my grandpa. Or you. That's what, or, oh, thank you. <laughs> really? You already had to go there. We've been in five minutes. We're fine. If you had to explain to me, Jeremy. So I'll give you an example, and then I think Eric should give you an example because he's got a good one from, from his former life. But let's say I work for you, uh, and you're my you know boss at an investment bank, and you said, hey, Revy, I need you to do some research on this company that we're thinking of acquiring. That work product, I know what it looked like 25 years ago if we were working in paper. It would be a one-sheet executive summary, and behind it with tabs running across the side, every document, comps, financials that we relied on. And then I hand you that book, and then you are annotating, putting in sticky notes, and those insights are the business value, right? That's the most important thing. And what happened is we digitized all of these different business practices that we kind of did in the paper world. We've kind of built tools for junior folks rather than senior folks, and there is no good digital home for that activity. So you're hunting around between Microsoft Word and a note-taking product and a PDF product, and there's no one synthesis place. So that's kind of the example and why a lot of the banks are interested. But uh, but Eric should tell you a little bit from the Air Force perspective that I think is kind of yeah, interesting I, too. Yeah, I see what we're doing as um, we used to carry around blue folders all the time. In the in, in the Pentagon, you'd see people running around the hallways with blue folders. And in those blue folders carry, you know, all sorts of important documents. And essentially what we're doing is we're digitizing that blue folder. So we're giving you a space where you can put all these different kinds of documents. So PowerPoint, Excel, Word, PDFs, pictures, put them all in one place and you can organize them and you have one project space, one workspace, and then I can share it. So I can collaborate with you know any number of people around, around the Pentagon, around the world, and I don't have to then carry this document around. I have either I'm carrying my iPad and I can view it on my iPad or I have my laptop and I can view it on my desktop. I can view it on web. I can view it eventually, you know, we're going to have the whole, uh, it's endpoint agnostic. So Android, um, you know, laptop, mobile, all the different devices. So I'm not carrying around paper folders, which you just do a quick Google search and you can see people leave that stuff in Starbucks all the time. They leave them in the back of an Uber all the time. It is a huge security concern. I, you know, I would race out oftentimes grab all my folders, stuff them in my backpack because I was trying to get home in time to see my kids and read to my kids before they went to bed. And then I would start working. And how many times I was like clutching my backpack on the, on the metro or on the bus ride home, uh, you know, and then having those sort of like, uh-oh moments where you're like, did I bring the backpack? Where's the backpack? You know, and you quickly run back and, you know, run in the other room and grab the backpack. Go, okay, it's still there. Um, the, you know, that aspect of it, is is lost i think in to many folks in sort of the the process so so it's one thing to be able to like digitize things and do it it's it's that reassurance that everything's secure if i leave my laptop or i leave my ipad at starbucks that sucks but 
my IT office, my, you know, systems guys can, they can, they can erase that. They can block that. It's going to be really, really hard for somebody to get in there. I leave a folder there and especially in DC, you don't know, photos are taken and it's posted somewhere soon quickly, you know, so um, that's, that's really where I see a huge benefit uh, that, that uh, what we're bringing to market to really change kind of how people are, are working together and collaborating. Awesome. You know, I know you've had some uh, success uh, just recently with, I think it was Samsung, right? Like, can you talk a little bit more about how that all came about? And, and I'm curious, and I'm asking partially because um, I think these kind of stories are helpful for uh, especially early stage founders and new entrepreneurs, people trying to figure out, like, how do I figure out what my market is? How do I get customers, right? Like, how, how did all, how did some of these things come about? Yeah, I think it kind of comes back to, like, this question that you and I were talking about in a different conversation a couple days ago, Andy, which is like, how innovative does innovation look? Um, so one of the things that that we've been anchoring on is that, you know, we don't need to reinvent the world. We're not trying to create a totally new habit that no one had before, but rather taking a 10-step process and turning it into a six-step process without really causing you to have a totally new habit. And so to that end, there's a bunch of things that have kind of followed from it. So as a business, every time, you know, we sell a unit or make a, a dollar, we really want to find a partner who can sell 10 units and make $10. And I think a lot of young startups don't think about that enough, that their commerce should be driving something in the existing dominant market. And if you could do that, then that's really great. So for us, you know, we're obviously in software and productivity. Um, so mobile hardware and mobile workflow software are, are really our big partners. So we partnered with Microsoft on the R&D for Folia. Um, they uh, were a great R&D partner while we were kind of figuring out the UX. Um, and then recently, we just uh, announced a major partnership with Samsung. So it's us and Cisco and WebEx. Uh, as they're kind of larger global partners um, who are going to be helping them kind of tell the story around how their devices exist in this like productivity landscape where it's not just hardware, but you're actually doing all these cool things with the software. And then with respect to your question of how those things come about, you know, when the story is about how we can help our partners do the things that they want to do anyway to the next level, then it's so much less frictional. So that's at least a high level, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. I'd, I'd add, uh, kind of piggybacking on what Ravi said. The it was a customer that introduced us initially. Um, a customer who was talking to Samsung about possibly expanding their hardware, one of the, you know large, large investment banks, and uh, in their conversations, they were like one of our key. One of our key apps that we're going to have to have when we, if we buy your hardware, is you know this, this product from Folia, and uh, so Samsung quickly called us, and, and you know, and one thing leads to another, but it's, it, it goes to that relationship with your customers can lead to other things. I mean, we are fundamentally trying to help our customers be more efficient, and you know, at the end of the day, make more money for, and and be better partners for their clients and their customers, and so. Uh, that, you know, that sort of white glove, if you will, customer experience and, and working with our customers led to this opportunity and, and has led to some other things as well. That's a hell of a compliment for Samsung to say that. That's awesome. Or, or for your, sorry, for your partner to say that to Samsung. 
you know, hey, Foley has to be baked into this. Yeah, we were. I mean, we were. Yeah, we were. We were pleasantly. Uh, we were pleasantly yeah, surprised. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a. It is a sense that, right? of. Yeah, it's a sense of pride. Obviously. Yeah, we're well, I, we're pretty yeah, proud of it. Yeah. A testament to the product of the people. Yeah, we, if you don't mind, I mean, we should talk about our team a little bit. Yeah, um, no, please. We, yeah, we've got, uh, so currently there's um, six of us. Uh, we've got um, a designer here in Bloomington, uh, Zach Rosicki, who you, you've probably seen around the mill. Uh, and we've got, uh, um, he, he's leading up our product side of the house and uh, doing a great job, really, as we build out and look to rele release our new product uh Later, later this quarter, uh, early next quarter, Zach's really leading that charge. He's got a really keen eye for detail and a great design eye. So it's been a real, it's been great having him on the team. And then uh, on our customer support side, uh, April Bofferding, who was here in Bloomington, uh, her husband was uh, at the ROTC debt as the commander there for the Air Force ROTC debt. Uh, they've since moved out of town uh, for his work, but. Uh, she continues to work for us and telework and do our customer support. And then this summer we brought on uh, Claire Bainey, who recently graduated from Purdue and is an OR fellow, and she's been helping us a lot on our on our customer outreach and customer communications. And uh, and then we have a, a finance. Uh, Linda runs our finance department, and she's out in uh, out in Seattle area. And so it's uh, it's Bloomington focus, uh, but we are we are dispersed in our uh, and we have work closely with the engineering team as well. So we have a, we have a really, uh, um, really fortunate, we have a solid team and they've, uh, you know, jacks of all trades, so to speak. So you, you know, you, you, you mentioned earlier too, um, uh, about kind of helping build or give back to the, to the ecosystem. Um, you know, what, I guess, what is it about Bloomington and this kind of region that, um, uh, brought that about for, well, I think let's start with Ravi and then Eric then too. I mean, it's always fun to to feel like you're providing value, right? I mean, that's the common thread between building a business, helping, you know, within a larger ecosystem or just, you know, having good camaraderie with the folks you, you work with. But taking it down to maybe a little bit more of a specific point, um, I think there's a lot of bad learning in the world of startups. Um, and a lot of the stories we tell are not the right stories or at least not accurate stories. So there's a, there's this whole like cult of the founding team kind of lore around startups that I think guides people slightly in the wrong direction. And I am at times horribly literal, right? And so I, I, I think where we have been able to help a bit is on that ground game. Like what are those actual steps? And like, what do you really need to do to, to, to build value? And what specifically are we talking about when we're like building a new software product or we're like, you know, introducing a new workflow. Um, and to that end, I think, you know, where I see like really great ecosystems uh, be born is when there's like a spirit of collaboration, but also really fast criticism. So um, you can tell the maturity of a, of a market based upon how negative people are, not how positive people are. So if you walk in and everybody's like, that's a great idea. Oh man, that's an awesome idea. This is not a savvy market. But if on the other hand, it's like, I like that, but you know, why didn't you change this? Or why is that different than this? Or what's wrong with that? Now, all of a sudden, we know that these are lights on folks that are actually uh, taking their been there, done that experience and applying it. Um, 
And so that's kind of the cultural shift that I'm, I'm kind of like looking to help bring around. So it's not about being negative. It's about being critical and having an eye and really inspecting it and looking at it and thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the game. I mean, every day you walk into work and it's not what's right. It's what's wrong, right? So it's like, what change am I going to make that's going to make things slightly better? And if we don't pattern the game as we tell our stories, then like then it, it becomes really, really tricky. And that's particularly hard because I think a lot of what startup culture is about right now is through the lens of what finance folks have kind of taught the world, right? So it's about the pitch deck, raising that capital. And I think a lot of folks feel like the the reason they need to be positive and constructive and, and dare I say maybe a little braggadocious is because we're trying to impress those capital partners. But the challenge with all that is that's not the way the game works internally in terms of what you're building or externally in terms of building rapport with customers. Um, and so from our perspective, it's like, hey, how do we actually get that ground game down so that those first formative steps, those next steps of like scaling up the business are all run authentically and then like between the community partners, all the other startups in our ecosystem, yeah, we're throwing elbows, we're, we're criticizing, yes, in a constructive way, but with an eye towards, like, what is that next improvement? So, yeah. Let me just ask you, you know, I think everyone at this table understands that the Midwest is not flyover country, that there's a lot of incredible things happening here. But what would be your message to those outside of this ecosystem about what the value is of being here physically and working with, you know, other Midwesterners? I mean, I, I have a perspective. I, I, Eric probably has a slightly different perspective, um, you know, complimentary, of course. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I, I, he's laughing nervously. Right I now. think it doesn't matter as much as most people think it does, right? I mean, the reality of it is we love to say there's an ethos of a place that makes one place different than the other place. But the moment we're in in 2023 is we can be anywhere, right? So like we can pick up and move to a totally different country, let alone state. And our customers might not perceive any change. And I think that's really the main moment here. And so for, a, a, for an economy or a community that is maybe, you know, slightly behind or hasn't participated in the previous economic wave, the opportunity is huge if that phenomenon is the way I'm describing it. Because it means that you can truly be anywhere, right? A company in Bloomington can have a partner in Korea, and that's okay, right? And that really wasn't the case 25 years ago. There was really an expectation that you're in a big city, you're in a market that made sense. There was so much signaling that was coming from location. And I think we're at an all-time low in terms of how much signal is coming from place. That said, I do think there is something like Midwestern ethic, and you know, there are you know, definitely some values here that that, that that I personally find attractive. I mean, people want to see projects through. People are excited to, to, you know, put pride of authorship and ownership into the projects they're working on. And you don't always see that in larger, market, larger markets. So, yeah. I don't know, Eric, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think it's, there's, there's a definite um, community feel. You can have an outsized impact on your community in the Midwest in a way, I mean, Frankly, I was living in Korea when I decided to retire. We moved here from South Korea. Uh, we owned a house in Northern Virginia, and that was sort of the most likely place for us to retire to uh, with my background, military background. Um, but we were the more analysis we did, the more we were drawn, you know, back to, you know, for me it was Bloomington, but back to the Midwest just because there's, 
there's value here. There, you know, it's there is a cost of living component to it. It's it's lower cost of living for sure than uh, than our place in Northern Virginia when we lived there. Uh, but there's also there is an ethos. There's this um, you know camaraderie, if you will, a community feel that uh, doesn't always you don't always get a sense of when you're in a bigger in a bigger place. And the traffic too, right? Oh goodness. We, you know, and then I just, I'll just say, like, yeah. No living, traffic. Yeah, living in Bloomington, I'll give a great example. The, you know, we, I think my wife and daughter went to one show at the Kennedy Center, um, and that was it, and we never went. We we rarely went in for uh, Wizards games, occasionally to a Caps game, uh, just because it was, it was so painful. We went to one Redskins game or Washington football team game, and uh, – it was miserable experience getting to and from the game. As it should be and because, so, of, because yeah. it's Washington football. Right. Game. And and then now juxtapose that with here in Bloomington. We're you know, we were season ticket holders at the IU Auditorium. We went and saw Chicago on Wednesday. It started at seven thirty. We left our house at seven ten, parked our car and we're in our seats before the show started. And we were home, you know, within fifteen minutes after the show ended. You know, and it was a it was an amazing performance, and we've seen nothing but high level performances. And then we have Big Ten sports here, you know. So there's there's just uh, from that standpoint alone, it it is uh, it's made a lot of sense. Careful telling our secrets with our <laughs> massive number of listeners. We're going to start right. bringing them in from Northern Virginia. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so so. Robbie, um, uh, I know you know with your with your background, um, and I know you've been doing a little bit of work. Kind of, I don't even know what to call it. Is it like a AI playground or working with some faculty at IU? Um, can you can you talk a little? I, it sounds one over my head, which is fair. I think everybody would say that. But also, like sometimes under your head and over your head are uh, – <laughs> So similar until you really unpack the content, and this one might be under. But um, but yeah, no, happy to happy to talk about it at a at a general level. I mean, this is kind of uh, to go back to something else we were talking about earlier. Um, this like place where we can bring to bear the literal things we've learned um, to help orchestrate, um, you know, and and solve a problem where we think there's a gap. So the gap is this: that there should be way more software companies here locally that are working on hard tech than there are. And I know that because of, you know, how many smart people in defense, in academia, in software live here locally. Setting aside um, the infrastructure, which is like world class, right? Um, Between computing facilities and all of that. And so, you know, initially the thought was just zooming out. It's like, well, there must be something going on. And I think where we have kind of anchored at the moment is it's really just about that collaboration. Um, So uh, I'll give you a great example, which is co-working spaces, right? Co-working spaces have turned something really kind of obvious, uh, you know, into something that is... Um, transformative in terms of the way businesses get started, right? So, like, years ago, it might be that you had to, like, go get a phone line and an internet connection and find a place to lease, right? So now all of those things are, like, trivial. That same kind of level of thinking is needed with respect to software companies as well, right? Because what happens is otherwise each software company that tries to get off the ground ends up building every piece of infrastructure from zero to one 
even if that's not the place that they were trying to be innovative. So like maybe they're not innovative at the level of building iOS apps, but because they need that, they're now going to have to do all of that um, on their own. And so what you see in a lot of mature markets is there are some collaboration engines that have taken the good things that co-working and accelerator space uh, provide and take it to the next level with respect to, like, in particular domain areas collaboration. And then with respect to AI specifically, I mean, this is really an interesting moment um, just globally, right, in terms of how artificial intelligence, machine learning heuristics, all these things are going to be applied um, to problems we all deal with. And I think there's an opportunity for for places like, you know, the central Indiana region to really take all of these places of super strong expertise and bring it to bear because it's not just a technical problem, right? There's a human component to it too, because all of this has to be orchestrated in a way that's going to be uh, impactful to humans. And so the goal here is to like, you know, get a group collaborating together so that, you know, we can get, you know, hopefully 10 uh, awesome businesses off the ground in a year or something like that. So those are the kinds of ambitious goals we've set our sights on. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah, I like that. That's really cool. I want to chat a little bit more about that after this. I'm going to leave your listeners hanging. In a secret podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, if you hear a beer crackle, that's where it's at. <laughs> no, I like that idea. So lastly, I know we're coming up on time. You, you, Robbie, you mentioned earlier kind of the, the tough part of being an entrepreneur. You worded it much more elegantly than I can. You know, I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, and they, and they ask, you know, hey, what's it like being an entrepreneur, right? Like, well, it's like getting punched in the face every single day, um, you know, and still standing there. How do you guys, you two and your team, you know, growing this from you two and growing, expanding with large clients, your defense background, your law background, how do you come back from that when you have that deal or that day or that week that, you know, was just a solid punch to the dump? Oh, man. Some days I wish I actually got punched in the face. Actually, Me too, I think, by the way. I, I think it's worse than, than that, which is that... I guess this is where the co-founder comes in. Right. <laughs> it's true. This is, this is the Jeremy part. Jeremy, Jeremy why are we doing this? He's like, stick around. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, but you know, like, I, I mean, I, I think we've all had this experience, um, whether it's like in athletics or something else, where, where it's like the game is clear, the score is clear, and the problem is clear, right? Even if you're not going to meet the mark, right? And so you lose on the merits, you win on the merits, but you're never doubting the game or the rules of the game. What entrepreneurship kind of brings in, in, <laughs> into focus is a totally different space, right? Where there's no scoreboard, you don't have like lines on the field, you can't even find the field some days. And so you're like half the time running around waiting for someone to punch you because you're not even sure if you're in the right place. And then there's a whole team around you that wants a scoreboard and wants lines on the field and wants a referee. And so you're taking something that is horribly vague and trying to translate it into something that's reasonably black and white for the rest of the team. So for me, that's been the experience, but uh, I don't know if that resonates with everyone. By the way, I'm totally stealing this analogy. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I go back to the beginning of the podcast and you're like, explain this to my grandfather. And, you know, and it's like... You know, we're taking this like nebulous concept and trying to like make it make it concrete, and that's sort of that is you know the everyday. We we do go through that quite a bit. I, I you know, I've um, through my career have seen a lot of uh, been a part of a lot of great teams, done a lot of interesting work, and seen some tragic things. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day. 
this isn't like there is no punch in the face that I think can't be weathered. Um, the the trick is, you know, and if you've been punched in the face before, you're usually your your nose hurts and your eyes water, and you you know you you kind of fluff it off and you get back in there, and that's mm-hmm. that I think is the thing. There's a lot of talk about failure. There's a lot of talk about recovering from failure. It's sort of the it's the micro it's the micro failures you have to be cognizant of. Um, you know, and we see it a lot, especially. Like, you know, in, in my old life, I used, you know, as a JAG, we were prosecuting cases. And so you're dealing with the like 0.5% of airmen in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not careful, you can think everyone's a bad actor. And to some degree, that's, that's the, and, and, and as a leader in that, in that environment, it was my job to expose my, you know, my junior attorneys and paralegals to the rest of the Air Force. No, we are like airmen are doing amazing things around the globe and you need to be exposed to those missions. And it's the same thing, you know, to a large degree in a in, in a startup is those punches can be overwhelming. But there is the, the reality is, is someone's paying us for this product. So there, you know, while one guy might be out there punching you in the face, there's a bunch of people happy and you're making them money. You're helping them make money. And so it's a constant sort of like, yeah, I got punched in the face today. But you know what? 100 customers didn't punch me in the face. And so you kind of have to have to balance that. And it's and it's and it's hard. Right. Um, it, so now if you, you know, no, if they're lined up to punch you in the face, that's a that's a different problem. But, um, it, you know, especially I, the analogy I like to use is especially with the customer support shop. Like no one's writing our customer support to be like, hey, I just want to let you guys know. Have a great day. Like, you know, hey, I've been thinking of you guys. Um, and so if you're in that world, uh, you can think that this is, oh, my gosh, what did we build? This is like the worst thing ever. Um, and so you kind of have to take a step back and, yeah. and, and realize there are, you know, there are folks out there who actually appreciate what you do and, and, and what you're doing. And so uh, from an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial perspective, that's, that's what helps keep me going. I feel like this is a bit of a therapy session, so thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> All eight listeners are nodding their head. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I think we're going to wrap things up at this point. Uh, Ravi Bhatt, Eric Coyne, co-founders of Folia. You can find out more information about their company, folia.com. Thank you very much for joining us, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah. It's great. Thank you. Go Midwest. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining us for the Midwest Innovation Podcast, where... Haphazard is, is our hallmark. <laughs>